Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap between what you believe and what you actually experience. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, in snowy Cincinnati. Thank you for listening today. Now, before I turn things over to Michael, I wanted to spend a moment encouraging you to let us know you're out there. Most of our listeners get the podcast through iTunes, and Apple has made it very easy to write a review of our show. So let us know you're out there, how the podcast has impacted your life, and perhaps some future show ideas that could include suggestions for people Michael should talk to. Thanks to those who have already dropped us some kind words. We sure do appreciate it. Now, in this episode of Restoring the Soul, Ryan Taylor joins Michael to conclude their conversation about Ryan's book, Awkward Spirituality. Now, in today's conversation, Ryan candidly reflects about expectations in life and how they're meant to be disrupted in order for us to find enough spaciousness and humility to grow and find the courage to sink into our truest self in hopes to find the spiritual in the ordinary. So without any further delay, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. One of my favorite uh, mystics and theologians, she was made a doctor of the church uh, when she died at 24 years old. She lived in the late 19th century, Therese of Lisieux. Um, and I, I read this in her story of a soul. She said that our poverty alone is our capacity for God. And she was speaking to and writing to um, educated uh probably middle and upper class people at the time. Our poverty alone is our capacity for God. Mm. And far outside of economic poverty, I, I identified with that in my life, back to your point, that the the only times where I've really felt deeply compelled and rooted and knowing instead of believing have been in the times where I've been impoverished. So to the point, you write at the beginning of the book, I think you were writing about the George Floyd um, season or where basically the world was just falling apart. This was, this was into COVID, I presume. And you said, I felt an acute powerlessness. And as I read your book and as I talk with you, um, you're, you're not like a saint. You don't have a, an aura around you that I'm seeing or a halo, but you're somebody who, as I read your book, I just came to 
respect on a new level and very drawn to your heart on the pages of your book, as we've talked today as well. But to me, if I were to be asked, well, what's the secret sauce? As Ryan's writing this stuff that's pretty deep and pretty kingdom and Jesus-oriented, what's the secret sauce? And it seems like that you are able to live in the tension of powerlessness. Earlier, you said, well, I'm not comfortable there, but that you choose to stay in that tension as much as is able. So talk about that experience then of acute powerlessness and what that's like today. Well, I would go back and I would reference our Hebrew scriptures and our Old Testament scriptures. And you look at uh, Abraham being asked in Genesis chapter 12 to leave everything behind, to leave all comfort behind, leave, leave your family of origin behind and go to the land that I will show you. Well, where in the world is the, you know, what is that? What does that mean? Um, you know, go to Jacob. Uh, Jacob gets the blessing, but then Jacob's kicked out into the wilderness and he has this wrestling, this very disorienting wrestling match. You go to Joseph, he pretentious young man, um, who then gets kicked out into the wilderness, you know, against his will over and over again. And you look at all these stories is being placed in this, this space of disorientation. I am not qualified. Uh, I don't know which end is up. I can't go back, but I, I'm not sure what's, what's up ahead either. And so I'm stuck here in what's called this liminal space, this space between it's me and God. This is the place of intimacy. This is the place of I cannot rely anymore on my degrees. Um, I can't rely anymore on my family of origin. And I'm just not sure what's up ahead. And so it's this place, again, it's this space of intimacy. It really goes back to like being at the coffee shop and not having any agenda. God is inviting that with us. I'd love to be able to just sit with you here. You don't know what to say. I'm not going to say anything. Let's just spend some time together. And, and that's, that's a, you know, again, that's removing yourself from a, a place of control. That's powerlessness. That's Mary being told, you're going to birth, you're going to birth this, this young man that's going to change the world. What? Uh, complete disorientation. So now it's just God and I. I have nothing to fall back on or to rely upon. I think God is just continually beckoning us into this space of intimacy. And in order to get there, we oftentimes have to be devastated. Everything has to be taken away. Um, and so that we can get there. And so you, you look at saint after saint, you look at, at, at Bible hero after Bible hero, what we call Bible heroes. And it's in that space when I don't know what to say anymore. My faith isn't working for me anymore. My vocation is not working for me anymore. And the formulas that I've the been formulas given for are not working. making life work as a Christian. Yeah. I prayed this prayer, I read this book, I'm having regular devotions, I'm still addicted to porn. Mm -hmm. um, my my wife still doesn't want to have sex with me. Uh, our kids are on drugs, or they're not following the Lord, or I lost my job again, mm -hmm. and keep going, 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 and life's not working. Yeah. And somehow, Jesus says, I'm in that, 
It's not when you get through that. It's not when you get past it. It's not when you stop looking at porn that I'm going to show you myself. And typically, we recognize it in retrospect. Yes. Like, we, t- in the moment, it just sucks. And I don't know which end is up. But five years down the road, oh, look what it- Apparently, this is what was going on back there. Yeah. In that space that that's I could why, not articulate. That's why I think it's so important. Uh, and I, I was talking with my friend Drew about this this week, that uh, it's so important that we learn to see with the eyes of our heart. And in Ephesians, there's four or five pastoral prayers that Paul prays. And for years, I've kind of read those and skipped over them. And, you know, they sound very religious. But the second one is where we have this popular worship song. We sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. But Paul actually prays for these people that he's giving this amazing revelation of who God is and how we're adopted and how we're clean and how we're not separated and how God doesn't look at us uh, as as sinners. And that's not the basis of, of God's love for us. And then how Paul makes this staggering statement that God's cosmic plan in the universe is to bring everything together as one in Christ. Uh, not just Greek and Jew, male and female, black and white, but poor and rich, Republicans and Democrats. Imagine that. And here's the prayer where he says how that's going to happen. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened in order that you would know the hope to which you're called. And so it seems like we we can more easily see it in retrospect, as you said, but in the midst, we need to somehow be able to see the spiritual reality. We can't see it with our, our physical eyes, but with our spiritual eyes and our heart, we see that Jesus is there and he's always and forever and maybe most powerfully inhabiting those moments of disorientation and disorder and what seems like his, his absence, but it's actually his presence. And uh, the the training that we get so often is like, here's how to get through it. And then when you get through it, you'll you'll find hope and life. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm the life in it. And so back to your book, um, Awkward Spirituality is the title. And uh, I was wondering, well, where did the word awkward come from? You know, that didn't feel like the right word, but... As I think about this, and, and I won't be falsely humble, I've tasted this. I've stepped into it. I'm probably like a second, maybe third grader in this way of being. But uh, it's awkward. You know, I don't even feel like the guy at the junior high dance asking a girl uh, if she wants to dance. Like I'm the third grader looking at the guy in junior high thinking it would be really cool to be there. And I'm not being falsely humble. I mean – I can teach this, but man, I don't want to go step into the powerlessness and the irrelevance, to use the Henry Noun quote, that Jesus is is regularly saying, well, here I am, here I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's here right now. He's here in my momentary life today where I'm healthy and where we're sitting in this nice office overlooking the mountains. He's here, but then he's there. It's so obvious on one level, and yet it's so hard to believe. Yeah, and I, you know, back to the idea that that God goes at the pace that we're at, that God is with us, right where we're at. This this week, I was uh, having lunch with a man with Parkinson's disease, and he's seventy years old this year, and um, very wise, very grounded man, 
whose world is being turned upside down because his body is now out of control. Um, he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't, doesn't know from morning to morning what the day is going to be like. And, uh, I just think at each stage of our life, there's a new, there's a new dimension of awkwardness. There's a new dimension of, um, of not knowing how to handle our body, our relationships, our politics, um, our, uh, the, the pandemic, you know, whatever's going on. And, and, and this is kind of how God operates. This is where God meets us, is in these spaces of, I'm not in control. These spaces of disequilibrium. So that's where the word awkward comes from. And, you know, for, for as I was developing this book, my working title for it, before I came up with Awkward Spirituality, um, was The Irrelevant Christ. Mm. And this idea that God meets us in all of these supposed places of irrelevance. Where God would not be. So go ahead and, and share that now unquote about the irrelevant self. I am deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. That's that space of powerlessness. That's that awkward space. Yeah, and that long pause right there uh, is intentionally unedited because uh, if you could see, there was just like this moment where I didn't want to speak and Ryan was taking that in. And there's these moments of uh, of breathlessness and where we just lack words uh, because, man, as soon as you read that, and I've, I've read that quote, 50 times. It's in Nouwen's book, In the Name of Jesus. That's my favorite book. I talk about it all the time on this podcast. But I go, yes, I absolutely positively know that that's true, but I'm still scared. I'm still scared to go to that place where I'm just my naked self. Because what will, you know, will people want me? Will I be seen at all? Will I be seen as stripped naked? And that's horrible and I'm dirty and, you know, my body doesn't look the right way. Um, if I'm irrelevant, then, um, you know, what game am I bringing? Uh, will people listen to my podcast? Will people read my books? Will I write books? I mean, it's like I read that quote and my heart goes, yes, that's life. And then I realize all the things I cling to as a way of um, like – giving myself a name and giving myself cred that then makes me better than there's my confession, father Taylor, better than those people that come to network because I've got all that game. And I, I hate that about my humanity, but I'm learning to be compassionate toward it and to honor that part of me that goes, yes, I want that because that quote, that, that irrelevant self is what allows you and I and Drew here to be known mm-hmm. and loved for who we really are. Yeah. So you talk about in that silence what was happening for you by reading Henry's words. Well, it just it, – it levels me every time. Even in, in, in writing a book about irrelevance, even about – you know through these – ideas of powerlessness or stepping into awkward spaces that can be a brand of mine (laughs) that 
<laughs> right? It's brilliant. So, let, you know, awkwardspirituality.com. Or writing a book on humility. Writing a book on humility. It's the best book I've ever read. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm really proud of it. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I, I constantly see myself trying to find my footing again. And finding your footing means building your brand in this day, right? Mm. Um, finding a, a credible way of, of making it through the world. Uh, mm. um, and so, yeah, you know, Henry Nowen, respected uh, priest and, and highly regarded scholar, goes and spends the, the last of his days in the Arch community among disabled people and chaplaining and just companioning people who could care less about his books and his reputation. I, I really think that that, Taking that action is on on the daily is about the only way we start to to drift down this road that we're talking about. But yeah, I've been in this work now for a couple of decades, and it still levels me every day. I have to be reminded to to stop and to pause and to humble myself and um, to be attentive to God's heart in the moment. There, there's there's no there's no graduating you know, yeah. outside of that. Yeah. Wow. Is that, that's a great way of saying it because I, I want to believe that I'm going to graduate. We were talking earlier about the rich young ruler. And as we're talking about this, uh, it's not, you know, I, I'm not a wealthy man by American standards. Of course, in the, in the world, we're, we're wealthy when we look at the, the average income around the world and what people have. But um, the rich young ruler in that sermon is often thought to be about money. I've got my version of my wealth, and that is that brand that I have, right? Mm -hmm. So this many downloads on my podcast, and you know my book has done well, and I, I'm part of a ministry that I founded, and like I can believe my own press release, yeah, and and that becomes my wealth that Jesus is saying, "Will you surrender that? You know, do this one command: go and sell everything you have." And this might be a good transition point to wrap up, although we don't, the clock is not ticking, but um, there's a sense like, okay, I read your book for a couple decades. You've worked with the disadvantaged and people in poverty. So I need to go do that. Right. But your point in this book is that we all have some kind of wealth. It may not be economic or financial. Uh, it, it may be our talents, our abilities, our charm, our looks, where we went to school. Um, you know, I, I think the th I always feared, like, if I lost my voice, what I do is I talk, I communicate, I talk with people. And if I lost my voice, like, that would be like losing my wealth. And that's something I get really scared about. But you're speaking about in this book that the place where we really deeply encounter the God that looks like Jesus are in these places where we have no wealth, where we have no currency, where we've got no money to transact. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that, that can be just down the street. I mean, that can be at the, at the middle school down the street, mentoring a child, uh, you know, mentoring a, a, an eighth grader um, who you need to sit with and you have no idea what to say or what that might look like. Um, and it could be at the nursing home down the street and uh, a widow whose only child left is four states away and you don't know what to say to her or you don't know what would be, bring 
what would be helpful, what would bring healing, what would bring hope for that day, but you're willing to step in there. And so it doesn't just have to be, uh, you know, chronically homeless in, in an urban area. It, in your own home, there are spaces that we, mm-hmm. that we don't walk into because we do not feel qualified and we feel powerless. But I, I can just sit down and say, you know, I can tell that you're hurting and I don't know what to say. And so I just like to sit here with you and uh, just offer, offer my presence. And uh, that's, there, there's a, there's a degree of humiliation there. there there's, you've got to step over your pride. You've got to step over that currency. You've got to step over that wealth in which in so many other places I, I feel competent in this place. I feel incompetent, but I know that, uh, that our liberation is bound up with one another here. Hmm. You know, it's so freeing to know, that the God that looks like Jesus doesn't rub our nose in our incompetence, inadequacy, or our lack, or that which is unfavorable, but he is sure committed to exploiting it and using it to bring out uh, goodness and beauty and connection and attachment. Um, so the, the kind of idea that I, I read toward the end of the book, you said that the idea of this book and this way of kingdom thinking is not to go seek out a life among the poor, but you said the invitation is to be just where you are, to be present in your own life. And that's what you're talking about here at a nursing home with your family, with the little old lady crossing the street, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. And you can practice this by waking up tomorrow morning and, and just looking at the sunrise. You practice it through the work of gratitude. You practice it by being taken and captivated by the mountain, by the the sunset over the mountains. You you practice it in the in the in the smallest ways where God is is constantly coming to us in the immediacy of the moment. And can I be attentive to that? The sushi we had for lunch was incredible. Can I celebrate that, or am I just going to move on real quick? You know, that first sip of coffee in the morning. That's mm-hmm. God coming to me. You know, the fact that I just walked into the kitchen, that's God coming to me. Um, you know, we're very, very privileged to have God's presence in every single moment. It's a matter of attentiveness. So if we can pay attention, and here I am spitting out all this to you um, like I practice it. But but I also know that God's compassion for me is is totally okay with me and the fact that I didn't really practice it very well today. But in the next, in the next step, you know, the, the invitation is still there. Can I practice it? And so, can I do it with, with the tree uh, in the foreground of that sun of that sunrise that's presenting itself to me? And then, can I do it uh, with the the clerk as I'm checking out at the at the grocery store? Um, because in every moment, that invitation is right there, if I'm open to it. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.